Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Welcome to another episode of Sheologians. Yeah. <laughs> I can officially say I'm a guest on Sheologians right. now. Yeah, you are. You're we a kind guest. of we're gonna call this Crosslogians. Yeah, no, we're gonna put the no, she no, and no, cross. No, we're not. No, we're not. No. I don't know. I got All right, nothing. So as as our listeners on Sunday night will notice that we're live at ReformCon. It's great to be here in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm glad to get some vitamin D coming from Moscow. I need I needed it. I don't. And, and so, <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. Come on. Produce it now. Come on. Come on. It's kind of one of those things. So we've been, we've been kicking around this topic. How, what does Reformation look like in the public square? And one of the things that kind of struck me, well, Toby was kind of making me tear up a little bit in the background. You too. Um, there. Yeah. Honestly, after that, I can seriously just, I'm done. I don't even know. I, I actually, I'm a little upset at you that you would do that to us right before we have to come up. And do this show. I'm not worried. To follow that up. Yeah, yeah. You weren't here. You didn't hear it. Wasn't here. Joy wasn't here. Right. And then you guys put me right next to him. Yeah. So. Yeah, you notice how we strategically split up the ladies. Yeah, we don't want a mutiny on our hands Divide up here. Divide and conquer. And, and so we've been kicking around the topic. What does Reformation look like in the public square? Well, one of the things that kind of struck me in Toby's talk was we really do have an authority problem. We really, like, ultimately... What this is, we got daddy issues. We don't like our daddy. Um, we did a, a cross-politic worldview series, if some of you guys have listened to it, and one of the, one of the uh, titles of one of the tracks was, um, Who's Your Daddy? And that was, I think that was Knox's title. No surprise. No, was it, was it, it, it was the face. Wasn't it the face of your father? Right. Yeah. That. that I, we maybe we said, "Who's your daddy?" In the no, no, track. Your idea got shot down. Okay. That's that was that was my yeah, idea. My idea, idea. Thank you for and remembering that's what that. Happened. That's uh, what it's, happened. It's the face of your father. The, the idea was you forgotten uh, the face of your father. Yeah. It comes from the. And the I said, dark "Who's towers. your daddy?" And you guys are like, "No, no." <laughs> so well, so you just saw like you know, it comes from the dark towers. Stephen King. No, it was. Idris Elba was in it. I can't remember who the that's, director was. That's Stephen King. Oh, no, but Idris Elba was. The, yeah, Idris Elba. Yeah, was yeah that's, all that's, right. that's all I care about. That's all that matters. You're talking about the black guy that was in it. I know. <laughs> but the idea, he was on the, the bus, um, and he'd just been wounded, and he sees a girl on there dressed scantily, and he's like, young lady, you've forgotten the face of your father. And that's basically the same thing I say when it comes to the church, and we see ourselves. Basically, we've forgotten the face of our father because of how yeah. we currently are. So, anyway, and, that was that's and, the context. And so... But you can kind of trace this from, from the garden to uh, um, uh, husband and wife relationships to children to church discipline you talked a lot about. Uh, and, and so um, even in our modern context, I think this issue of authority is, is um, even more obvious with what's going on with, with Beth Moore and the SBC, which is what's going on with the LGBT issues and, and Revoice and the PCA. Um, uh, maybe, maybe tie a little bit, Ty, what you were talking about in relationship to um, how's, how's authority shake out in, in relationship to, to, to God our Father? I don't know what I would... <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't talk about this at all. No, um, I, uh, no it, it is all connected. I think um, and probably the, the thing that we hate um, the most, and I think this is deep in the uh, American soul um, that that needs to be crucified, which is, is just um, the, the insistence uh, that we obey. And, and so what we've, you know, what we've, we hate obeying, we hate obedience. Uh, we, we, I mean, how many of you, like, you know, just think about it, this, where the, you know, you, were, you thought of something um, good to do. You know, you're going to help your wife with the dishes. And then she comes in and says, hey, could you help me with the dishes? And what happens? There's a sinking sensation in your sick, prideful heart. Because <laughs> you wanted the glory of going to do those dishes without being told. And now you're thinking about, I don't know if I want to do the dishes anymore. I was excited before she asked. Yeah, I was excited. Before. Why? <laughs> because, we, because we're proud and we hate 
obedience. We hate obeying God. And then we hate every reminder of the necessity of obeying God. And so all of these, the, 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 the sins that we're dealing with of, of uh, women uh, exercising authority over men, um, uh, the, the sexual disobedience, um, that's what it is. It's fundamentally, it's disobedience. And it started with saying things like, no, but I can divorce my wife. Right? That's how we started disobeying. God says, no, you, you know, you're not to dis- divorce your wife. And, but we, we will. We, I'm going to. And so we disobeyed God with divorce, and you know we, we, we played around with uh, sexual infidelity in various ways, um, you know, for, for decades. But we were disobeying, um, and and I think disobedience is always a slippery slope. And you can't say I mean, disobedience has no logic of stopping. I mean, because the, because the, the actual engine driving is I will do whatever I want to do. Well, if that's the logic driving it, then you can't tell some dude, um, you know, that he's not actually a woman. Because he can do whatever he wants to do, or a woman who wants to be a man, or whatever. Um, there's no there's no brakes on that car. And you, you can't suddenly invent them and say, no, well, in the middle of, of me doing whatever I want to do, I will stop, you know, I, I, I won't actually, um, you know, open up a, uh, a brothel for barnyard animals. Yeah. I mean, they have those. They 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 have those in Germany today, and and there's a reason why God had to say to the Israelites, "And you can't do that." Why? Because that's what people do. Yeah. Before I jump in, I just want to make sure is, is James White right, right over here? Uh, yeah, he's right behind you. Yeah. He's right behind you. Some of you go. Welcome to my entire life. He makes me nervous. James White is and he's right. There. Security. <laughs> he ain't he's here for you. Here. I know. But, <laughs> it's all right. but still, he makes me nervous. <laughs> part of the part of this is too. I think the reason why it's um, I'm finding it hard to convince people that that's the problem because what disobedience looks like right now is helping. Like right? what? In the sense that um, a woman helping uh, right now. Let's just deal with uh, women in ministry for a second here. She's preaching the gospel. And she's trying to open up the door for other women to see that they have a place in the church. So disobedience can look like it's actually helping. And and when you see, well, what's wrong with that? This this has always happened. I mean, you think about, um, you know, the story of the guy who's carrying the Ark of the Covenant back into the land. And he's starting to fall. He says, I'm going to help God out a little bit. I mean, what could be wrong with helping the Ark not fall on the ground? And God killed him. That's right. Because when you're not, if you're not, if it's not obedience, it's disobedience, and you're actually not helping. So I got a, I got a video, to, and then I want Summer to jump in here. Set up. I, complementarian theology became such a high core value that it inadvertently, by proof of what we have seen, look at the fruit of what happened became elevated above the safety and well-being of many women. So high a core value has it become that in much of our world, complementarian theology is now conflated with inerrancy. Case in point, notice how often our world charges or dismisses egalitarians by saying they have a low view of Scripture. Because unless they think like us about complementarian theology, they do not honor the Word of God. Just a sec. Far too many SBC congregations and SBC seminaries, so few women are in any visible area of leadership that women who are being abused by the system itself or within it by people that are in places of power don't even have a female to turn to. They don't even know where to go. Here's the best way I know to put it. If complementarianism were a woman 
I tell you that woman is being abused and somebody needs to call the police and start an investigation. And God help us if the police are in on it. Can you stop that? And I guess now Please. I'm the leader. Yeah. Please, I've, I've had enough. Please. I'm done. We're done. I'm done. Are we done yet? We're done. Are we done yet? Where do you even start? Fantastic point of view. A new fantastic. A new fantastic point of view. No one to tell us no. Well, where to go? I say we're only dreaming. Hey, hey, Knox and Davis, stop it! Stop it! But that's what this is. I'm sorry, Summer. This year ago. That's where they put you. This is this is Summer's question. This is my so, question. So what are, what are your what are your first reactions to to Beth Moore's besides fear? <laughs> I'm typically not afraid of terrible arguments. Um, I, I mean, obviously, there's so many problems in there. Um, it goes back to what Knox said about packaging something like this and making it look like you're actually helping, like you're actually caring, is a great way to sneak in really bad theology. Okay, so we all know we're supposed to care, we're supposed to love women. That's something no one can argue with. No one can argue with Beth Moore when she says abuse is bad and this shouldn't be happening and sometimes the police fail and, you know, all of that's true. Um, the big problem with what I, with what she said, I think she said inerrancy. Was she conflating it with complementarianism? Complementarianism is inflated with inerrancy is a question that um, we all should be asking, which is, where in scripture do you find the qualifications for a female elder? Um, yeah, this is an issue. She's right. She is attacking the issue of inerrancy when she asks this question, because where in scripture do you find those qualifications? I can look in scripture and I can find the qualifications for a male elder. I cannot find one for a female elder. So if you want to go beyond um, authority to the text, then yeah, you can ask these kinds of questions, but that's not what we should be doing. You know, but just to kind of, from what I've heard on this argument, there's this, um, there's this separation maybe. Well, I'm not, I'm not trying to be an elder. I'm just I'm, preaching. I'm, I'm, I am trying to, you know, I'm just trying to preach and exhort mainly women, but I'm not trying to be an elder. So what's, sure. there's, there's no, there's, there's, there's no issue here. Sure. Yeah. Joy, that, you want to take that one? Well, what I had, my first reaction to it was that she was making, she was creating a new like intersectional category for egalitarians, which is that um, they're the new like victim group in that realm. That's so exactly right. the yep. victim group is the one that from the right side you can see is attempting to gain authority. So egalitarians, complementarian women don't tend to be preoccupied with getting authority and recognition Whereas you're going to see egalitarian women, or at least Beth Moore, if we want to be specific, she's uh, she's actually like created a victimhood category for herself so that she can have a reason to seek further to call the cops authority. Yeah. Well, and, yes. and she said, yeah, well, she said at the end there, she was even talking about complementarianism, and it's like, so if you think that complementarianism condemns the egalitarian viewpoint, then you're abusing complementarianism. And complementarianism is the, another right. intersectional category um, of victim as well. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, you have these two. So, well, first of all, they don't need to be, maybe I'm wrong, they don't need to be too, I don't think we should necessarily view them like an intersectional, like, like an intersectionalist would, which is that like it's two people against uh, each other. Um, that type of view is what creates this weird power play dynamic, but the complementarian woman isn't typically even, they're just trying to be obedient Faithful. to the scripture. They're not right. trying to gain anything. They're not trying to gain back all the, the lost years they had where they weren't powerful in the church or their voice wasn't heard or anything like that. Um, they're simply uh, just following what the scripture says. Well, right. I, I think one of the things that's happened with the terminology of complementarianism, I think it's kind of actually offered Beth Moore like that camel nose under the tent. 
it's, mm. it's already compromised from the beginning. And so when we come up with the terminology comp complementarianism, Beth Moore just starts looking at it as like some sort of extra biblical category. And that's how she can compare complementarianism to inerrancy. If it's an extra biblical category, then she's, she's right. It would be interesting to just ask, I mean, if Beth Moore was here, I would just say, all right, um, Mrs. Moore, 1 Corinthians 14 says, let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as says the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. What does that mean? Right? I mean... Not that. <laughs> Whatever it means, Apparently. Exactly. not that. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. But, yeah. but, but her saying, you know, in so many churches, women aren't up front teaching. And, and visible. The Bible says they're not supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not as much of a Greek scholar as Dr. White, but Isn't I'm pretty sure that? the Greek means what the English says, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I got it up. You I'm agree glad with me? you're here now. You yeah. all right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the other thing that, that bothers me in this is the idea, and this is not just with Beth, I think I see this with Matt Chandler too when he starts talking about picking um, uh, a black seven over a white eight oh, for yeah. churches. Y'all know what he's talking about. We should back this up a little bit. There was a video a couple years ago. He's talking about... MLK 50 last year. Okay, was, there was, year? okay. MLK 50. He's talking about you know, planting churches that are going to be you know, whatever, multicultural. Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's satellite churches. They're converting them now to... And, 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 and he says uh, in this video, he's caught saying, so uh, we need to get... Um, minorities in in leadership positions right. and so he says if i have a and if you if you rated an elder candidate on a scale of one to ten ten being you know uber qualified you know one not qualified he says if i have a white what do you say eight white eight yeah and i got a black seven which one they asked him which one would he would want and he, he said, said i would take the black seven yeah and say so what happens if you have a, a black six and a white eight and he's like well i'm going the white eight because i don't want it to be I don't want it to be like the tokenism that I'm preaching against. <laughs> so if you get far enough apart, it's tokenism. Uh, right. Just so, just so you guys but, know, Knox is a 10. But, uh... <laughs> Thanks, Gabe. But the thing that I see in this is that the issue should be qualified men. Yeah. Period. Period. And a qualified man who loves God people, I don't care what color he is, yeah. he's going to meet the needs of the people regardless of their color. And the same thing is with, with Beth Moore is that she's saying, listen, if you don't have women in positions of power, right. then they're going to be oppressed because there's no one there to speak for them. But that's not what happened in Acts. Right. Right. You had women who were getting, not getting their food, who were getting, you can call it abuse if you want to in this situation. Widows. Widows, right. Exactly. Widows being neglected. And then, what are the, but the, the apostles appointed deacons. They appointed well, can't men. can't those be women Holy. too? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's, at least, let me put it like this. That's not who they appointed. Right. If, if right. this was the moment. Like if there was a time. If, 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 if it was important that there be women in leadership taking care of women in need, Widows, they needed yeah. to do it right there. Yeah. And it's, instead, it's men. And notice it's also, there's an ethnic thing going on there. Exactly. There's the first social Hellenists, moment the church Hellenists too, yeah. and Hebrew widows. Yep. And there's probably even some, you know, ethnic strife in that. There's probably some racism going on there. But, but the men that they appoint, it says nothing about where they're from. Yeah. What they looked like. Except they were full of the Holy Spirit. They were full of the Holy Spirit. And it was Spirit. from among them. It was people from among yeah, them that yeah. were full of That's the right. Holy Spirit they were to yeah. appoint. Right. So if we really want to fix problems, we need somebody who's full of the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to say who's close to the situation. Yeah. You know, and so, again, the problem, is she's, if she really wants to fix the problem, then she would say, where are the men at to fix it? This is partially why um, when you were talking, man, that talk broke me. First of all, when you hear good preaching... Uh, it always starts off with those folks out there, and you, you get to say, amen, amen, and then somehow that bat continues to swing and knock you in the mouth, too. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, and so y'all might have seen Knox back there in some tears, because it just was like, okay, Lord, you can stop now. Uh, because what it requires is faithful men who fear the Lord to stand up. And to say something and to be godly. But it always starts first in their home. And, and the problem that we have, while we can look at Beth Moore and see that this is the fruit of our problems. Right. Our real problems are, like you said before, limp-wristed men in the pulpit. Yeah. 
And that's really where we need to deal with the things we need to deal with first. Some church discipline. The real problem is Beth's husband and her pastor. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And they they don't love her enough and they will not honor her enough to to get her out of that position of It's not protecting her. Yeah. Um, In the film that I'm working on, Josh Bice says in the film, uh, there is no doubt that we consider abuse wrong. We don't, want, we don't want any abuse to happen to women. We are totally for the protection of women, so much so the Southern Baptist Convention has a resolution or some sort of um, uh, deal set up where if the church is abusing people, has a, supports abusers, they kick them out the SBC. But he says, also, it is wrong and abusive to put a woman in a position that she shouldn't be in that is, and ask her to do that. That's also yeah, abusive. Right. Like putting a woman in military combat. Exactly right. That's, abu- that's, that's abusing a woman. Yeah. And so and what, this would be an interesting way to check people, though. So somebody who says, um, so, so much of this abuse narrative is being driven by people who don't actually care about women. Right. They're not actually interested in honoring and protecting women. And the way you can prove that is, number one, well, do they hate abortion? Okay, some of them do. Okay. And do you hate women in combat? Women in contact sports? Right. Women police officers on the front line of duty? Well, 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 you know. And all of a sudden they go soft on you. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're not really interested in protecting women. Well, that brings up, I think, an interesting thing. I'm, I'm much less concerned about Beth Moore than I am people on our own yeah. team yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, who essentially don't believe there's any difference between women and men despite, uh, except for the roles they can take in the church. Sure. So we have people in our own camp who are arguing that, uh, yeah, you know, women, we agree, you know, we're conservative, we're reformed, and, and women can't be pastors. And then you ask them, well, what about our roles in any place outside of the church? They have no distinction. Everything's on the table. Everything's yeah. on, everything's yeah. on yeah, the right. table. Right. Um, and that's happening in our own camp. And these are the same people that actually, uh, they make the argument that, uh, the prohibition for that Paul gives in First Timothy too for women to be silent in the churches. They give the same arguments that the egalitarians give, which is Paul was clearly writing to just a really rowdy group of women. We know that. Where, how? There's no answer, but we know we we know that what must be the case is for Paul to give this instruction means that those women must have been specifically very loud. Even though the next verse appeals to the creation order, <laughs> doesn't matter. Those were loud women. That's why that's given. Right. Well, we I think we I, don't have loud women nowadays, though. I know. I was going to say like, we <laughs> have the same problems. <laughs> well, this yeah. is this is I think my problem with the complementarianism terminology is because where does it start? It starts with saying that we're we're same. equal, that right. we're the same, yeah, yeah. as opposed to why don't we just start with how. Paul breaks it down in Ephesians 5 with actually breaking down who's, who's the husband, what's his job? He's the head of the wife as Christ, uh, he's the head of the wife as Christ, the head of the church. What's the wife's job, right? Instead of, we start with complementarian language and lingo, that to me is actually um, already weakening the stance of how the church should be looking at marriage. I would go back to the point about authority and I would say the way you weed out, you separate, um, complementarians if we if we need to do that is that is complementarians who love authority that's godly complementarianism authority is good yeah can it be abused and misused yes it can but it's from god it reflects god's character authority is good and for and so yeah complementarian yeah of course we do what we're made for and where our glory is but it shines in uh situations where god has established authority well, I don't, I don't know anybody in the church that's arguing that men and women are not made in the image of God, that we aren't yeah. equal, right? And so when we're using the word complementarian, I think, I, I, I think it's a re- the, the church came up with that terminology to kind of respond to because they were nervous about authority in the first place. Right. So we're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to start classifying marriage as, hey, we're all equal. Don't worry. Right. Part, of, part of the challenge, this goes back to what uh, – Summer and I, hey. We're on the same team. This. There is – no, they are arguing at authority very interestingly because they don't want to say that they don't want to agree with authority. What they want to say is who gets to have that authority and where and where, right? right yeah. that, so, they're, so what they're doing is they're 
you can be like God, right? It's the same kind of lie where it's mixed with a little bit like you already are, you know, you can have this fruit. You're going to get that at some point. Don't do it now, this time. You know, there's this, um, so even with the social justice movement, when the race issue too, it's like, well, we don't have a problem with authority. We're just saying they won't have enough black people in authority. And, 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 and then they clarify this but even they more do so. Say they have a, a problem certain authority. type of black person in authority. Right? Not people like me. Yeah. Right? right. You don't have a black I, voice. I, you I, just I, have a black face. Yeah, I, I speak for white voices. <laughs> right, that's right. Seriously. So, yeah. and, so the, no. and so they're not arguing necessarily over authority. It's how they want to flip and manipulate that authority. But they don't, know, they don't know the back of all this, though, is the destruction of all authority. So I think at, yeah, on, yeah. on the soft side, they'll be able to admit certain v- versions of authority. But the actual dream is, complete, is a complete flattening, which is not reality, which, which they can't actually arrive at. But what they're wanting to do is completely flatten all hierarchy. Yes. All authority is evil and wicked because all of it reminds them of the living God. Joy? <laughs> um, I would guess I don't have anything to add to that because I mean that's just it's like one of those silent moments. But um, I do. I guess I would w- just want to say that uh, what the type of language that tends to come with argument that Beth Moore is making involves words like abuse, um, and what it suggests is that the church has um, abused women for all this time. Summer and I are very familiar with words like this. They're the same words that feminists use. Um, and so the reason why this kind of talk is so damaging and it's just poisonous and it's, it's, not, even, it's not even really honest because you're standing behind the tragedy of real abuse and you're using it to sort of it's say a, like here. Weapon. Yeah. It's weaponizing it. But the point is, is that any legitimate abuse of any kind is never going to be healed ultimately by you being given power. It's ultimately through submission to the Lord. So you... In can you our, give her the organ on that? Are you allowed to do the organ? For, for, can, we, can we do organs for, for, for women? Was that preaching? No, no, no. Oh. No, I'm not up there. <laughs> I'm not at the pulpit. I'm right here. Rest that maybe a little bit. I don't know. Okay, so I'll clarify. For anyone watching, that's definitely an encouragement to any woman that feels as though they've been abused by the church. Talk to a pastor. Talk to your husband. Talk to someone that will help you heal. There we go. No, but that's. But no, but what you said is exactly right. There's. The, the false gospel of victimhood is that you will find salvation in power. Yeah. And that's why they use the word empower. So when you hear the word empower, you need to spit. Right? We don't, no, that's not, that's not our salvation. That's what that, that, that language comes from Marxism. That's the whole idea is there's all these inequalities and you need to be lifted up, empowered, in order to you know, find your true potential and find who you are. Well, it's, it's garbage. The real... Salvation is submission to Christ and, and his healing and power, power of that gospel. Yeah. That, Jesus' the, gospel. And, and, and he takes away the shame. He takes away the guilt. And in, as we submit to his word and his principles of justice, true justice can be done that punishes evildoers and yeah. protects the innocent. Yeah. I, I just want to, when we talk about true justice, I find out a lot of times when we start talking abuse and stuff like that, what people don't want at the end of this is real true justice. No. Because I'm going to tell you something. When I say, okay, so let's say someone was sexually abused. Are we going to fight for the death penalty? You don't get to do that here. And we want to set the example that that doesn't happen. We're not going to tolerate that. And it suppresses wickedness. So I I want to say, let's, let's, so ERLC, right? Let's solve it. Let's actually solve the problem. problem. Like let's, let's solve the problem. So they're doing the Karen Wells situation and I I get it. I know what they're doing. What are you talking about? So Karen Wells is a conference that they did for, um, talking about sexual abuse inside the Southern Baptist Convention. That's where the Beth Moore and, clip came from. And, okay. and that was what Beth Moore was. And there was some really good things from what I hear. I wasn't there for all of it. I saw some of the talks that were very problematic. But underneath of it, that some of the lawyers and things that can help churches was super helpful from what I understand. Um, Tom Askell's daughter was there and told me that there was a really, really helpful things from the lawyers. But 
she said there was a lot of grandstanding up on the front side of the stage, which made it bad because there's real issues to deal with. Right. And so the ERLC is putting this situation on. I would love for the ERLC, since they have so much political power, to go to our federal government and present to them in the same way they fight for uh, against abortion. They say they fight against abortion. Uh, but in the same way that they're, they're, they have power and political pool to say, hey, let's push for the death penalty. For sexual abuse. For, for, for sexual abuse. For, yeah. for rape. For rape. Yeah, for rape. And, I mean, and let's judge it to the point where that people don't want to do that. Yeah. Right. Let's, 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 fight, let's fight in a way that we can actually be effective and say to our sisters and to our children, you will be protected right. under our rule. That's what I want from the ERLC. Not, not, a, not a conference. The, the, the conference is, honestly, it's, it's so, it was grandstanding. And it, the, they're not saying that they want vindication for the person who was harmed. Right. That's the problem. That's the In our problem. culture, we almost won't even tell a victim of sexual abuse to tell someone. We tell them to wait. Wait until you've processed this and you're ready. Wait until you're ready. But That's the, right. Like a That's really right. helpful, good message that will bring justice is if something like that happens to you, you need to tell somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So Cry out. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're just not interested in... in making the victim whole anymore. And that's, that's what we should be interested in doing. Um, and you, if, you're, if you want to pursue justice, then you, you have to do that. And I know that it, it's hard to say, um, but I've seen leaders just this week tweet that, hey, don't tell your story until you're ready, which is really a good way of stopping justice from happening. Yeah. Right, and we're not, we're not in any way saying that you know, just flippantly talk to people about stuff. That's not, that's, I feel like that's not even a caveat I should have to make, but, um, there's no, there's no automatic, there's no magical healing in telling people what happened to you. Right. That's another part of that false gospel. You you need to raise awareness. You need to, you know, tweet it me too, or hashtag or whatever. It's like, how many women have done that? Like born their souls. And then after your five minutes of fame, and everybody comes around you, crowding around you, oh, and then everybody's gone, yeah. are now back in the same dark hole they were, yeah. and nothing was actually done for yeah. them. After Al right. Sharpton's of the, of the Me Too movement leave. Right. After they fleeced right. them. Yeah. yeah, after right. they fleeced them. Right. And, you know, this is something that really needs to start in the home, uh, because fathers need, one of the things that I uh, learned is that my kids need to know if they were ever kidnapped, daddy will find you. And I will hurt, I mean, I can't say that. Uh, <laughs> y'all know what I mean. Liam uh, Neeson. <laughs> I know people. Uh, <laughs> don't ever stop fighting. Daddy will find you. And the other thing that I always want my kids to know is how this thing works. Scream. Yell. Right. Say something. You will not be the one in trouble. Yeah. You, right. are, you are the victim in this. Yeah. And if you don't do that, daddy can't get to you. Right. Daddy needs to get to you. And if you don't do that, then you open up the door for that person to do something else bad to someone else. Yeah. And so we're not – the part of what we're seeing is the fallout, right? But I think, I think part of what – the reason why you have to tell people that and tell your kids that and why it, it, it's happened so often in families where you, they say, but they, they were ashamed to tell. They yeah. didn't want to bring it up or whatever. I think there was significant failure long before that yes. in practicing principles of justice in your home, right? You taught your kids – that they couldn't talk to you mm, about right. difficult things. You taught your kids that you were biased or partisan or that you might get angry or right. emotional yeah. or frustrated yeah. with their yeah. difficulty. You weren't being judicious and calm when they were two and when they were three and when they were four about you know the toy dispute and the fit in the car yeah. and this kind of stuff, which needs to be, I mean, you're the judge. Yeah. You, you need to decide these, heart, these cases in your home and they need to, they need to see your wisdom and rejoice in it. Yes. And know I can bring these these hard things, these difficult things, these shameful things to my mom and my dad. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's that's really good, especially even what it looks like when the when the four year old and the two year old get in a tussle, and it looks like maybe the four year old was the bad person in the case, but wasn't. Yeah. But I can come to dad because I know he's going to hear both sides of the he's story. He's going to be just about right. He's, right. Yeah. yeah he's going to call dad. witnesses. Yep. He's going to call the witnesses. There's yep. going to be evidence. There's going to be testimony. I mean, this it and starts. And he's going to listen yeah. and hear me yeah. on all that. Yeah, and he's not going to judge based on appearances. That's right. Because that's the prohibition of the Bible. It's that you can't judge on the basis of someone's face. Yeah. Whether they're rich or poor, male or female, mighty, whatever. Like it doesn't matter. 
um, all the old paintings and statues of Lady Justice, she's blindfolded, yeah. right, for a reason. Yeah. She just she's just weighing out the scales of justice, and we have to practice that in our homes. And that's actually what gives children confidence that's right. mm-hmm. to do what they need to do when they are in positions of danger or when they've been harmed. And, and it's actually often because dads are being lazy. <laughs> they, oh, are, yes. they aren't yeah, trying to hear absolutely. both those stories. They, they just want to deal with it so they can go back to the TV or whatever. I just spank them all and send them to bed. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> Line yeah. them all up in the bathroom. You probably someone, did something. Someone did something, I'm going to spank all you guys. But, that's, that, but it's unjust. Home, right? It creates a culture in your home where don't tell dad or we're all going to get spanked. Yeah. So now no one's innocent, right? Right. Everybody's guilty, and no justice can't be served. Yeah. Well, I think something to, to, I think as people are listening to this, people especially who disagree with our position, all they're going to hear is we must be heaping guilt on parents. We must be heaping guilt on victims. And I think a lot of what we forget in this conversation is the gospel. It's the fact that there is no victim that Christ can't make whole. Shotgun. That, that's, shotgun. That's not a promise. Yeah, click it. There we, thank you. No shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> we have to. No. 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 Shotgun. You guys. Shotgun. Just... Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, okay. He's good with that. He's good with that. Right. We gave us a pass. <laughs> <laughs> this is tough. Y'all try doing this with him over there. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead, sis. You were saying. <laughs> Y'all, I'm 30 years old, all right? Just because my dad's over there. Hey, daddy. Okay. Um, <laughs> we can't forget the gospel in this. And I think a lot of times when we're, we, we have been trained to believe that there is, there is no burden that can be lifted by Christ. And that we just are perpetually, for the rest of your life, you are a shell. You are... Like, this cannot be healed. You cannot be made whole. And that's just, that's not the promise of the gospel. And so any of these conferences that are talking about abuse and all of that, I'm glad that we're talking about it. And we should be talking about it. But if you're not talking about justice, like Knox brought up, like what to actually do with people who are guilty of this sin, and you're not giving the gospel to the people who have been harmed, I'm not interested in a single thing you have to say on the topic. Preach, preacher. Well, in, in, uh, in 1 Peter 2. I mean, don't, don't. You better clap. You better clap. <laughs> Amen. In, in 1 Peter 2, I mean, it, it says this. He's talking to slaves. And he says, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also uh, to the wicked and the harsh. He says, for this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Now that's heresy in these, in these circles. And it's right there in the word of God. Sometimes we suffer unjust, injustice, wrongfully. And it's, it's our glory to do so. And, and he says, he says, for unto this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Amen. Right? Who when he, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not in return. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to the one who judges justly. Who is, who in his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin might live unto righteousness by whose stripes you're healed. So that's where the healing is. The healing is in the stripes of Christ, not in our suffering, not in our the injustice that's been done to us. But when we entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly, God turns our stories of pain and tragedy into beautiful pictures of the gospel. And, and this is this is why this whole uh, victimhood status is gospel plus something. You know, gospel plus well, women need to be in leadership. You know, gospel plus, you know, I need to David, tell my story. Do what? Gospel plus, I need to tell my story. Yeah, yeah plus, I need gospel to tell my story. Gospel plus, right. raise awareness. Right. Gospel plus scripture isn't sufficient. What's that? It's just scripture is not sufficient right. Right. anymore. Yeah. And you have a big move right now for the, the therapeutic and, and, you know, we need to go outside of the church right. to pastors find help. Qualified. Pastors, pastors are, aren't qualified. Yeah. You know what? This, Some this pastors is... are not qualified. Okay, let's all, can we all just agree because I'm so tired of hearing this. Well, not all pastors are qualified. Yes, I know some churches are not great. However, um, for the most part, why are you in that church? I don't know what to tell you. 
well, I understand. It, I have been I have been greatly blessed. But you know what? Most of us that are in solid confessional churches, we aren't. Most of us are not dealing with pastors who are not qualified. That's, right. that's not the question. Mm-hmm. And the question isn't whether or not you can ever go to therapy. I know that's just that's a really popular topic right now. But the idea that you must go outside of the church to deal with these issues right. needs to be shot down and shot down very quickly. The whole issue. The sufficiency, and Beth Moore was right. I want to give it to her. The issue is about the sufficiency and inerrancy of scripture 100%. I don't believe that anything a therapist offers you is going to be better than what the gospel offers you. And if we need to get back to that, like we apps, all of this, we're off in the weeds. We are so off in the weeds. You want to argue about the word complementarian and egalitarian. You have left the, you just left. We need to get back to the basics and the basics the basics of the gospel are what we need here. The basics of what justice is, mm. is what we need here. By what standard is what we need here. And at the end of the day, there is no such thing as a Christian woman who's pursuing Christ who, who doesn't have these things. If you are pursuing Christ, that you're not like, man, I just need a therapist. Like maybe you do, but like if you are really clinging to the gospel and you are really obeying Christ... You are, we're promised joy. We're promised healing. We're promised all of these things. And that's not some weird version of the prosperity gospel. But I do absolutely believe that it's in authority. It's the authority of Christ and it's submission to him that we need to return to that's the answer for so many of these problems. Amen. Amen. This, a lot of you are probably wondering, what is Ann Coulter doing on your screen? Well, me, me too. Summer, Summer, <laughs> Summer actually just, Hashtag me too. Yeah. Summer just actually did a Wrong great job oh, introducing this segment, this I, video. You're welcome. Women should get married in their 20s, um, have children, and stay away from politics, journalism, and, and activism. You will notice that the activists, particularly the ones against Kavanaugh, look at the global warming protests. Um, it's always, well... I won't say they're always overweight women, but they are often overweight women um, who are obviously mentally disturbed, very upset, screaming, carrying on, weeping. Um, Kavanaugh, the ones who would show, well, the, the, the one I just talked about was really the most beautiful example of it. But I just think all of that passion and energy is better directed toward a family. And most women, not all women, my own case to the contrary, go mad if they are not safely ensconced with a husband and children and the world would be a better place. We've started, I started pointing it out to my friends and now we notice the okay. most unfair journalist, right. the most outrageous. Yeah. Every once in a while you'll get, you know, like a James Comey type. I'm totally convinced the whistleblower I, is a woman. Um, so I, that's I, my controversy. Okay, now hold, hold on. Let me just, let me. First of all, I just got to say, it looks like somebody gave her a cheeseburger. I am so happy. <laughs> I am so happy. And, and Dr. White, Catholics can she, get it right sometimes. She's not done what? yet. Not done yet. <laughs> Wait, you're still going? Um, I, I mean, my life is one in a million. Don't count on it, ladies. Your objective should be through college, through whatever you do in your 20s, um, focus like a laser beam on finding a man you will be happy with for the rest of your life and who can support you because otherwise you go mad and you end up clawing at the door of the Supreme Court or writing utterly insane journalism, <laughs> slanderous, and we're just lucky that we have a First Amendment that means you can go around defaming and slandering people. I won't. <laughs> Summer? Joy? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can we just say maybe she's gone a little mad? She proved her own point, though. I think she does a little bit. Yeah. She does yeah. prove yeah. her own point. She proves her own yeah. point a little yeah. bit. But no. does she have a point? Of course she does. Yeah, of course she does. Create! Um, no, I, I, <laughs> Joy and I have talked about this a lot. Um, what you don't do is make a rule by the exceptions. Most... Christian women will grow up and get married and have children, and that's normative. And I cannot believe we live in a time where saying something like that offends so many people and stirs up so much whataboutism. Well, what about, what about my friend who's single? Well, great. You know, God called her to that. Or maybe not. Maybe she'll get married later in life. Um, but 
you know, there, there's a, I think there's a contingency of people who want us to believe that the church is just obsessed and idolizing marriage. I'm sorry. Have you guys walked out your front door today? <laughs> have you seen the culture? Is that really where we're at? Yeah. Really? Well, and, and, and what, what's happened here is that um, God's way, to put it simply, is, is the best way. And if you, if you, uh, one of our pastors, uh, Ben Zorns, uh, about a month ago in his exhortation, um, uh, benediction before we left church, he did the math for us. And he said, if, if a husband and wife have four children and, and they grow up faithful to the church, and then each of those four children get married and have faithful marriages, and then each of those four children have four kids and so forth. And if you extrapolate that up over 150 years, Basically, you have a town the size of Boise, Idaho, which is about 350, 400,000 people in 150 years. One family that is faithful and little with what God's given right before them and raising faithful children and then having faithful grandkids and then having faithful great grandkids and so forth can take over a whole, can take over Idaho in 150 years and be the voting block in Idaho. But because, but because we think, um, you know, mission is sexy, or we think church planning is sexy, or we think all the all the cool stuff that we need to be doing is out there instead of changing my own baby's diapers in the house, and and being faithful in the little things. And God, and, but but we've totally flipped it upside down, and because it's not fun, it, we don't think it's fun. And but and the thing to to get at is you're exactly right, and and that's because that's where the power is, that's where the glory is, the real glory and the power. I mean, you want to be a powerful woman, right? Then get married and have kids. Yeah. And love those little ones and train them up. And that's in the not Lord. a reduction. What we're told no. is, oh, you just yeah, want to right. reduce that's women exactly right. to just, their biology. Just. But it's like, no, Joy and I, we talk about this all the time. Like what we want for, we believe women are, we believe women are powerful. You don't have to empower no. us. Right. We believe that we are powerful. But taking them out of the home for most of them cuts you is off of your taking knees. them away from their power. Right. That's the thing. They're like, but if I'm a CEO, then I'll, right. no, like, no. Right. I think joyful obedience is the answer to everything we've been talking about. Yeah. To absolutely everything. Because right. we believe that, we believe that women are essential for the kingdom and essential to the church. Like, you need us. That's not on the table. Come on. Now. That's not what the discussion is. I'll give so, a, the, sorry, go ahead. No, finish your thought. I don't want to stop you. See, I'm a woman, so I was being like really amenable. I, I know, and I, I just I, can't I, stop. I, I just can't help but it. Please. <laughs> oh, but thank please. you. You're ge- like what you a gentleman. <laughs> And now I don't remember what I was saying. I need coffee. Women are powerful and you guys need us. That's not the question. So a lot of times what you'll hear in this conversation is we believe that, that, that women, you know, unlike those nasty patriarchalists and complementarians, we believe that women are necessary for the church. We do too. We just have a disagreement on what that looks like. Yeah, and I think right. women acting as women and a joyful obedience to God is an absolute necessity to the church and is world-changing. That's exactly it's, right. It's not and just that, but they make our arrows, too. just want to say that. Yeah, yeah, they're sharpening our arrows. No, yes, that's right. And my wife, they, uh, sorry, I interrupted you now. Would you like to, there's, how does this work? Uh, I'm going ta- <laughs> to take it. will just be rude. I'm going to take it. You defer <laughs> to the intersectionality right. of not. Yes. No, I'm not. Yeah. No. I spent reparations if I'm you're going to take back this. To you. I'm going to come back to you. Okay. Uh, no, t- two things really quickly. One is just a, a book plug. Um, I'm reading, I'm doing an audio book right now for Canon Press called Radiant, which is the story of a number of um, powerful women in the church starting in the early church all the way down to the present. Martyrs. They were all yeah. wives and mothers who faithfully stood for Jesus. Many of them were killed yeah. for their faith. Um, and But they were powerful in the advance of the gospel, um, doing what God had called them to do. And it's, it's, it's glorious. I'm trying to read it and not crack in my, like up when I'm reading it because like, yeah. it's like, this is beautiful. So the books already exist. You can order it, and the audiobook's in process because I'm reading it. Real quick, but, Toby. Yeah. Um, I, I actually read, uh, took my kids through that book. My kids were like um, two, Did you cry? four, and six. Did you, I, we, I absolutely yeah, cried. It was incredible. It's just three or four pages of each woman. It's a whole book. It's um, like a vignettes of faithful, godly women being but, wives and mothers and standing for Jesus and being courageous and bold, and it's Glorious. It's glorious, and my and actually, it brought up so many great conversations for my my yeah. two and four and six year old. Now they're now they're, I don't know, five, seven, and eight, nine, whatever. But um, it brought up a lot of good conversations Wrench, for the family. Where are you? <laughs> yeah. anyway, so the, just, the other thing I wanted to say, though, in following up on Ann Coulter's thing, is the thing. It's not just women who go crazy when they don't get married and have kids and do what they're 
um, what they're called to. It's men. Why do we have so many young men shooting up schools and synagogues? Why do we have so many men committing suicide? Why do we have the opioid crisis? Why do we have all of this? Because men have failed to go find a wife and raise children. They, and, and, and a lot of it, I know there are hard cases where, you know, the guy's faithfully trying to find a wife and all 75 of them turned him down. <laughs> you know, God bless you, brother. But I know a story that a man found his good thing. Where he at? Right there. Marcus Pittman. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hey, come on now. What you say? Praise but, God. But I'm okay. going to say, I'm going to say a lot of the problem, though, is disobedience. Yeah. Because it's easier to go to a gym and look manly. It's easier to work on your car and feel manly. It's easier to get online and tweet and think you're being manly and brave. Or it's easier to go do something else. It's easier frequently than going and finding a good woman and loving her with all that you are and laying your life down for her and then laying your life down for all the children that God gives you through her and raising them up to love Jesus all their days. That's the hardest thing a man can do. Amen. And that's why so many men are cowards and they run away from it. Either altogether, or they're not faithful to the ones that God's given them. And so it's the same thing, but men go crazy. And if you want a book on that, Men in Marriage by George Gilder. Oh, it's a really good book. It will, will, will kick you in the teeth. Um, and it's a book where he wrote the book, and he was in the process of becoming a Christian. So take it with, there's a few places you're going to take it with a grain of salt, you know, some evolutionary silliness. But on the, on the whole, he gets the point that men who don't marry go crazy too. And they are a menace to society. It's both ways. Were you going to say something? I was just going to ask y'all if you'd heard Kanye's album yet. <laughs> oh, That's what I'm it? trying to hurry up it, and end. Like, I go listen to <laughs> uh, real quick, Dr. White, you might want to close your ears for this. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have kids. If you have kids, go baptize them. <laughs> I was hoping, I was hoping uh, Joy brought her baby up here. I had some water. Uh, no. No. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight. <laughs> Laugh. And Thank feet. you. Baptisms in the back. Baptisms in the back. Go baptize your kids if you have children.